You're listening to the Hard Men Podcast, reclaiming biblical masculinity in a world of softness. Well, welcome to the Hard Men Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about homeschooling. Now, if you follow me on Twitter, I recently made a post arguing that there are four strategic ways for the church to gain victory in the current culture wars. I shared this as well in a deeper discussion on the Patreon site for our supporters. And because of that, Aaron asked this question. He said, so we homeschooled our daughters in the past, then transitioned to public school. And now after some consideration, we're seriously considering homeschool again. So talk me into it. Pros, cons, curriculum, etc. Thanks, brother. So I thought it was a great question from Aaron. And I think a lot of people are going to be asking that question. If you don't homeschool, or maybe you do, and you're trying to think through some of the reasons, maybe how to talk to your friends, people in your community about it, I hope this episode is helpful. So in this episode, I'm going to unpack and make the case that Christian children should receive a Christian education. Now, as I've recently said, one of the strategic areas the church can win right now in the culture war that is sure to unfold over the next couple decades is by capitalizing on the number of Americans dealing with the school crisis that came about because of the coronavirus debacle. We can win now and in the long run by keeping our kids away from the public education system. Now, at this moment, you've got millions of Americans across the country who are reluctant to send their kids back to school because of the introduction of seemingly endless lists of state and federal mandates. You think about sending your kid back amidst the mask mandates, social distancing, and so on. And so many parents are wondering how distracting rather than effective a lot of that will be for their children, and rightly so. If there is a real virus threat, public school seems like the last place that you'd want to send your kids. And for many other states, there's no certainty that public school will even open back up at all in the fall. So it could be that a lot of people are going to be homeschooling whether they like it or not. Now, on top of all of this, many parents made it through the end of the spring semester under a state-run home education hybrid policy, and while they were doing that, they came to several realizations. The first of these was that education for their kids wasn't really that great. They were implementing the things that the state handed down, and they said, wait a minute, this is not actually that good. Second, many Christians are rightly taking note of where we as a nation are and then connecting the dots between those ideals being taught in school and the social abominations unfolding before our eyes. So on the one hand, you have riots. On the other, BLM support from the church and other outlets. And then there's the rampant sexual perversion and support for LGBT communities that's really spreading throughout the public school system. And again, parents are connecting the dots on these things and they're saying, well, why would I educate my child in a way that is going to further promote things that are antithetical to my Christian worldview? Third, many parents have realized that home education is not as difficult or impossible to do as public education pundits wanted us to believe, especially with so many resources and the technological advantages available to us. 
so many people have been educating from home and they say this is actually more convenient. It's quite helpful. And we are already using this technology. So no big deal. Why don't we just do this all the time? In other words, this is the perfect moment for Christians to be actively and strategically thinking about how to encourage others to homeschool their children and to get them away from the pagan-making empire that is public education. If the Christian church alone would be faithful to rear their own children in the faith, and if we kept our own children, think about how effective would, would the church be in taking dominion of the whole earth. We would be a larger, more potent army for the cause of Christ. Now, I want to answer one potential objection right from the bat that some of you may have. You may be thinking to yourself, what about private or a classical Christian education? If you read anything from Doug Wilson, he is keen on the classical Christian model. And I would say that's fine. I think in many cases for people, those are excellent options. And I certainly have no problem with parents wisely delegating teaching authority beyond themselves. Some homeschooling movements will say only the parents can teach. I don't think that's true at all. We do delegate responsibility all the time, though we still take primary responsibility. So that's not my argument. However, I do not think that classical Christian education across the board is a strategic place for us to gain victory right now. And here's why. Well, first of all, private education is extremely expensive. We've looked into it in a number of states, and even with support from those schools and, and the conjoining churches, it's still over $10,000 per student. So if you're going to encourage people to have lots of kids, to fulfill the dominion mandate, to be fruitful and multiply, and then you're going to tell them that they all have to go to a private school, I think you're going to run into many obstacles. There's a lot of folks out there in the Christian church who simply cannot afford that, and I'm one of them. Now, the second thing I'll say is this. Unless you're going to move to Moscow, Idaho, or a select other few locations, there's just not many options for thoroughly Christian places of education. And I pray and I hope in the future that these schools grow and that people fund them. I think that would be amazing. I think that's probably even more of the ideal. That's what we've seen in our history in the past. But what you do have across the country are a lot of schools that call themselves Christian schools, and yet they are little more than public education with a plus sign and a cheesy devotional Bible class slapped onto them. So when you look at actual good quality Christian education, private schooling across the country, I just think it's sparse, and I don't think that's something that's going to happen in the immediate. I think that's more of a long-term goal. Homeschooling, on the other hand, can happen tomorrow, can happen today, and that's a good thing. And so I think as a church, we can win there. So if you're one of the people who happens to live in Moscow, Idaho, or a place like that, and you happen to simultaneously be wealthy, well then great. Send your kids to a private classical Christian school, and if that's in your community, then encourage others to do the same. For most Christians, however, and especially those who also value the command to be fruitful and multiply, this simply won't be the best option, again, because of finances or simply location. On the other hand, homeschooling is accessible to virtually everyone, and it's relatively inexpensive. 
Many churches can start co-ops or essentially support groups for homeschoolers, or they already have these things in place. And there's a number of ways to do that. All of this is relatively inexpensive, and it can also be incredibly effective. Because of this, I believe that is where the great opportunity for vast numbers of Christian parents lies, where they can win the hearts of coming generations and their own children by helping them to flee public education and to embrace Christian homeschooling. So what we'll deal with in the bulk of this show is this question, why should you homeschool your children? Well, I do think it's a phenomenal question, and I want to start unpacking my response by looking at a few foundational principles from Scripture that clearly lay out the primary duties of Christian parenting. I think it's important to start with biblical principle and work our way out from there, because what so often happens is that people start with what they want to do, and then they engage in mental gymnastics to get the Bible to support that position. I want to work as a husband and wife. We want a lavish lifestyle, which requires us to both work. And so the only option in that case is to have lots of debt, nice cars, nice house, but we're going to have to send our kids to public education. And then you say, well, how do I get the scripture to back up what I want to do or what I think is easier uh, given where the culture is today? So what we want to do is we want to start with scripture and we want to start with biblical principle. And then we want to build our decisions off of that first. So number one, number one principle that we'll look at today, your fundamental duty as a parent is to train your children to fear God, to love his commandments, and to obey Christ. Ephesians 6 and Deuteronomy 6. So we'll begin by unpacking this principle from Ephesians chapter 6. And in verse 4 of chapter 6, Paul says clearly that a father's primary responsibility when it comes to his children is to bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Now, interestingly, the word Paul uses for discipline is paideia, which in the Greco-Roman world referred to the training of a young person with the intent of making them the ideal member of the state, or the polis, the city. This kind of education is formation that ultimately aims at the child's fundamental allegiances. This is where we get the Proverbs and what the father says to his son. Son, give me your heart. Well, this is what education in the Greco-Roman world was meant to do. It was to win the allegiance and the loves of the heart toward a certain worldview, morality, and code of virtues. This education, which was fundamentally formative, included practical education, subject-based learning, and socialization of individuals into the ideals of the polis or the state. It wasn't simply a class you attended one time. No, this form of education was a full-orbed training regimen that included every area of life and it would shape the entirety of your person, both physically and morally, and then as well, mentally. Now, the Romans recognized a fundamental principle, and this is important for what we're going to talk about today. The principle is this. Education is formation. And so Paul is saying we must take note of the way the world trains its children to become good citizens, and to recognize that education is fundamentally 
about the total formation of a whole person to, the, to be a citizen of a kingdom. And then as Christians, we need to apply those principles of paideia in an explicitly Christian fashion. That's what Paul means when he says discipline and instruct them in the Lord, not in secular humanism, atheistic evolution, or pagan feminist Marxism, but in the Lord. In other words, Paul is calling on Christians to oversee the total formative education of their children so that they become ideal citizens, except, and here is the crucial point, Paul wants them to be ideal citizens of the polis of God, not the polis of a humanistic pagan empire. This is exactly why Paul chooses the wording that he chose. The same way that you would send your kids to Caesar and get them back as Romans, while Christians ought to find ways to educate their children so that they return as ideal citizens of the city of God. This is made clear in the second part of what Paul says that fathers are to bring their children up in the instruction of the Lord. The word that Paul uses for instruction is nuthasia, which can also be translated as admonition or exhortation, and it means literally to place the mind in proper order through God-inspired warning, admonition, or exhortation. In other words, a child's formative education should include fatherly appeals, and exhortations to live a life in accord with God's Word, and the moral principles that are derived from it. Education is fundamentally an exercise in hammering a system of moral virtues into a child through constant, ongoing exhortation. It is essentially a fatherly endeavor to educate your children, and so fathers must take a central role in that process. So the question is not if a given education system instills virtue, but rather which set of virtues it will be instilling. To summarize Paul's argument from Ephesians 6, fathers must recognize that education is formation. It is aimed at the whole person, including the child's heart, and it is their Christian duty as fathers to ensure that their children receive a paideia education that trains them to be the ideal citizens of the kingdom of Christ. The reason that so many Christians lose our children to the world, I believe, is because we fail to recognize the true nature of any educational system. We delude ourselves into thinking that education is merely a neutral endeavor, and that the public education system in particular is a neutral environment where mere ideas are exchanged without bias. But in point of fact, nothing could be further from the truth. Every education system, Christian or otherwise, is ultimately pleading for our children's hearts. And yet we allow the humanistic state, the same state which has become completely antithetical to Christian morality in its mission and in its teaching, we allow this state to oversee the formation of our sons. And then we wonder why they return home with none of our moral virtues or our worldview. I think it's also interesting that when you examine the historical context, we've fallen a long way from our fathers in the faith. Because historically, Christians were keenly aware of the purpose and power of education. It was that conviction that compelled John Wesley to write. And he wrote this, quote, 
Let it be remembered that I do not speak to the wild, giddy, thoughtless world, but to those that fear God. I ask then, for what end do you send your children to school? Why? That they may be fit to live in the world? In which world do you mean, this or the next? Perhaps you thought of this world only and had forgot that there is a world to come, yea, and one that will last forever. Pray take this into your account and send them to such masters as will keep it always before their eyes. Otherwise, to send them to a government school, permit me to speak plainly, is little better than sending them to the devil. At all events, then, send your boys and girls, if you have any concern for their souls, not to any of the large public schools, for they are nurseries of all manner of wickedness, but to private schools kept by some pious man who endeavors to instruct a small number of children in religion and learning together. Now, the last thing we'll do under point number one is look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. That passage reads this way, quote, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. End quote. It's much of the same point Paul was getting at in Ephesians chapter 6. It's this. You as parents, and particularly as fathers, have the primary responsibility to make sure that your children know God's word, are trained in godly living, and you are to be the primary force that shapes them on a daily basis as you walk through life with them. Now, this doesn't necessarily have to be homeschooling, but I would argue with you that it is vehemently not possible to do in the public education system today. I'm not sure how you can obey this passage, see to the godly formation of your children, and then send your children to the pagan state to raise and disciple them on a daily basis. Remember, fathers, that it is not your job to make sure that your children get socialized in the ways of the world but instead to be faithful to Christ. And so as we are able, we seek to bend every effort, every schedule, every routine, everything that we do as a family, every activity that we participate in, we try to bend all of this to bring our sons and daughters to faith in Christ. So from the time that you rise till the time when your head hits the pillow, you, fathers, are the driving force in your children's lives, and you are the one pointing them to Jesus. Now, that's hard to do, if you're barely ever with them, and they're spending their days, seven to nine hours, with pagan teachers who hate God. Now, the second argument I want to make in favor of homeschooling is this, and I think this is maybe one of the most powerful arguments and the simplest that can be made. It goes like this. The student will become like the teacher. Luke 6.40. Now, as I said, often the simplest principles hold the most profound power. Some years ago, before my wife and I had committed to any form of education for our children, and in fact, before they were even of age to go to school, I was researching the different options. We were not decided whether it would be private, public, or homeschooling. So we're reading books, we're reading blogs, and I came across a Doug Wilson book about why Christians need a Christian education. 
I'd read both sides of the debate fairly thoroughly, but it was an argument that Doug made that became the game-changing point in my life and the one that I most often share with other people. Doug pointed to Jesus' statement in Luke 6.40. Jesus said this, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. End quote. It's an astonishingly simple point, isn't it? A student will become like his teacher. Which means that if his teacher is a pagan statist, who like a potter presides over our child as a clay on the wheel, we should not be surprised when our child returns from the kiln looking like, well, a statist pagan clay pot. So not only do we need to be reminded that education is formation, and it is the teacher who is doing that formation, we also need to recognize that formation happens by way of imitation. This is a principle Paul repeats throughout his letters, including in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, when he says, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now, I believe this is a fundamental principle about education, formation, and discipleship in general, and we need to apply it to more areas than just your spiritual life. Instead, to all of your education, and particularly to the education of children. As every parent knows, children learn by watching others, and most prominently, their parents. So as children watch their teachers, and they associate with their peers, they learn and they grow, and they're transformed by a process of imitation. Christian parents, I find, are often obscenely naive when it comes to this principle. Sure, we may pay lip service to the principle, but we often assume that seven to nine hours a day under the instruction of a pagan teacher who endorses the LGBT movement on her personal Facebook page and is sympathetic to it in the classroom, who reads White Fragility on the weekends with her lesbian partner, and yet we think that this person is somehow going to represent an unbiased, neutral education experience for our children. How foolish we are to think that our children won't become like the teacher. Again, I always drive people back to this point. Do you believe the words of Jesus or not? Do you think you're smarter than the basic wisdom principles that Christ taught? I think often the way we approach wisdom literature is we think, well, that won't happen with me. I know that bad company corrupts good character, but I'll send my kid into the public school and he won't be swayed by them. He will be the salt in the rotten piece of meat. Didn't Jesus say that? Here's the point. If you want your children to be faithful, covenant-keeping Christians, then they need a covenant-keeping, faithful teacher. This is the very basic principle that Jesus lays out. So my question to you, fathers and mothers, is this. Who better than you? Do you love the Lord? Do you seek with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength to follow Him? Maybe not perfectly, but again, it's, it's the intent. It's the motivation, it's the desire to follow Christ that your children need to learn from. So who better than you? Who better than you for your children to imitate and to be the overseer of their formation on a daily basis? Children, if they grow up in loving homes that blend discipline with security, naturally want to become like their parents. So I think for many of us, we can simply go with the grain of God's design by being the author of that formative education. The model Paul presents is a man who can say, imitate me as I am imitating Christ. Now you can say this if you're a parent, 
educating your child in the home and discipling them on a daily basis. But I don't think that you can say this honestly if you send them to state schools. You certainly can't say it about the people that they are with most of the time. Most public school teachers vote Democrat, they are left-leaning in their thinking, and they do not love Jesus. And that's who is educating our children. The third argument I would make is this. The public education system is explicitly anti-Christian. Now, when I was in the fifth grade, I remember certain classmates' parents signing a waiver to get them out of a actually fairly bland sex ed course. But at the time, it was a hotly debated topic. Many parents were upset with administrators that we would be educating our fifth graders about hair in funny places and where to put your genitalia, how exactly they function. Most of us had no clue about it and didn't need to know in the fifth grade, and here we were being exposed to it. Most of the people who objected, by the way, to the sex ed course were Mormons. And I remember thinking those poor little kids, man, we were sitting there watching hair in funny places, and these poor little kids had to go to the library, and for like a week, all they did was write book reports. You can see even then how the public education system was punishing people for opposing whatever the state wanted to teach their children. And so while we were learning about all these things, body parts and functions and how everything worked, all the little boys in the back of the classroom were giggling and making jokes. And sometime after that class, I remember uh, we had a classroom computer, one of the old, old original Mac computers with like the green typeface. And on that computer, we had Oregon Trail and Carmen Sandiego. So this is old school. And I remember I signed into the computer using the name Peter Penis. Right? We just took sex ed. I'm a little boy. I just sat through an entire anatomy discussion. How can you honestly expect a little boy not to be making jokes about body parts? Any father with sons knows this is going to happen. And so I remember the teacher called my, my mom and I got in so much trouble. It was like, how dare you? I can't believe you said that. Well, as Bob Dylan crooned one time, right? The times, they are a-changing. If we thought that was bad, look at what their students in public education is forcing upon children now. At least my sex ed experience was about men and women having sex. But the state of California now teaches youngsters that there are over 30 different genders. They teach them that boys and girls can decide they want to change their sex. They teach them it's not a biological reality. They teach them that truth is based on how you feel. Gender is merely a social construct. Again, not a biological fact. Racism is everywhere. And God is a fairy tale. Meanwhile, other states are teaching sodomy to youngsters, literally teaching them in sex ed in fourth and fifth grade how to commit acts of sodomy. It's just untenable that these things are happening in the public school system. Drag queen hours at the library, both in schools and at public libraries, have been rammed down our throats. Biology is about evolution. Politics is about socialism. And literature is about Toni Morrison and Robin DiAngelo's white fragility. Here's my point in all of this. We've just looked at a few things, but it's, it, it's important for you to see as a Christian, the current education system 
is utterly pagan and God-hating. It's not even close on this issue. Elizabeth Barthollet, a professor of law at Harvard, recently this past year made news by championing and promoting an anti-homeschooling conference. It's a sign of our times. Why? What does it mean? What does it signal? Well, as Professor Barthollet said, she feared that homeschooling gave evangelical conservative Christians too much leeway to educate their children as they saw fit. In other words, to educate them as Christians. You see, for the statist in the public education system today, they desperately want your kids. So I think as Christians, you need to wise up. We each need to wise up and we need to say, look, they want the hearts of our kids. And I think one of the dumbest things in the world you can do as a Christian is surrender your kids out of convenience or out of covetousness for a softer, easier, more luxurious lifestyle. Now, fourth, my fourth point is this. Education was once viewed as being in the realm, in the sphere of responsibility of the family and the church. So historically, this is the view uh, that was held by our Christian forefathers and most people in society. The novelty today is public education. So compulsory public education, at least through elementary school, did not become official across America until 1918, and high school requirements came much later. So my point is this. Public education is thought of today as a necessity because this is the air we breathe. We can't even imagine not having public school. When in point of fact, it's relatively a new thing, and as many people have pointed out, it is highly ineffective. You think about people... Yeah, I was reading about Jonathan Edwards the other day, and by the age of 13, granted, this guy's a genius, I get that, but by the age of 13, he's, he's going to college, he's already a complete master of Greek and Latin, um, he knows all his theology, he's an expert in math and calculus. Okay, he was a genius, but that was sort of more of the norm in that day. And today we say, well, we have public education, everyone is so much smarter. Well, the problem is people are not smarter. They're just status cogs in the wheel. And I don't want my children to be that. And so that's why we don't send them to public education. Again, this goes back to what we were saying before. Recognize the goal of public education. It's certainly not to help your children love Christ and to be obedient to the law of God, which is, as a Christian, that should be the point of our education. Now, in the past, as I said, the family and the church were the proper spheres of education. This is because, largely, the men of old and our fathers in the faith followed Scripture. And what you find in Scripture is what we've been talking about, that the family and the church were the God-appointed authorities for education, for moral formation, and for child rearing. And so I want to read a few quotes, and the first one that I want to read to you um, is from John Taylor Gatto. And I, by the way, I am indebted to my wife. She has an entire book of quotes that she has lengthily taken time to write down. She has been the main researcher on homeschooling for the last 15 years that we have been married and since we've had children. So she's done all this research, and so I'm indebted to her for this, but she has shared so much and helped me so much to think through these issues. So John Taylor Gatto 
is, I think, a five-time teacher of the year in the state of New York. This man is brilliant, and he has a number of books, including the book Dumbing Us Down. So I want to read a quote from John Gatto about the public education system. He says this, quote, Is there an idea more radical in the history of the human race than turning your children over to total strangers whom you know nothing about and having those strangers work on your child's mind out of your sight for a period of 12 years? Could there be a more radical idea than that? Back in colonial days in America, if you proposed that kind of idea, they'd burn you at the stake because you would be deemed a mad person. Why? Because it truly is a mad idea. End quote. So that's a glimpse of John Gatto. He's got a lot of other really, really excellent books and quotes. By the way, not a Christian. But even he could recognize the craziness of the public education system. One of the interesting things, I think, as well, um, so I was recently reading uh, Undaunted Courage. Uh, this was last year. Um, uh, Stephen Ambrose's book about Lewis and Clark. And it's interesting because in that day in early America, everyone was educated by a minister. So if you wanted an education, you had to find a local minister who would train you and prepare you to go to college. Imagine how different America would be if all the students that went to universities, by the way, which were Christian universities, if all the students were taught by pastors. You see, there was a time in American history, as Gatto points out, that we valued education as formative for all of life. And we saw Christianity as the overarching rule of life in every single area. So again, I think what we have to be faced with is as we deal with the homeschooling question is, we're actually the weird ones, right? We need to put ourselves in other time periods and think about these things from a historical perspective. So, speaking of historical perspectives, the next quote I want to read to you comes from Martin Luther. Um, and again, this is about education. Martin Luther says this, quote, I am much afraid that schools will prove to be the great gates of hell unless they diligently labor in explaining the Holy Scriptures, engraving them in the hearts of the youth. I advise no one to place his child where the Scriptures do not reign paramount. Every institution in which men are not increasingly occupied with the Word of God must become corrupt. So you look at our public education system, that is 100% true. But what is the problem? Well, I was recently talking to uh, one of my pastor friends, Brian Sovey in Ogden, Utah, and he said, man, if you want to see your church shrink in size, just preach about homeschooling. Because it's become such a statist idol for us today that to even question it is like, you're going to get shot. These are the conversations that pastors need to have. But like Jesus, you're probably likely to get almost thrown off a cliff or run out of your church if you address it. So again, as men, this is part of being manly. This is part of being hard is that we need to care more about what the word of God says than what is culturally cool and relevant among our peers. They may think that we're totally weird. And that's okay. We stand with history and the fathers and the faith, and we stand with Jesus and the scripture and with Paul. So the final thing that I want to quote is from Andrew Sandlin, 
I love Andrew Sandlin. His writing has shaped me tremendously. And this is from one of his Chalcedon booklets. I've mentioned it before. But Andrew Sandlin says this, quote, The parents have taken the first step in the Christian dominion, an assault against the messianic claims of a godless state to control the seat of its citizens. This is what public education is about. Their children are daily being instructed in an atmosphere of biblical authority. He's talking about people who are homeschooling. Christian virtue and godly obedience and order. Their subjects are taught from a distinctly Christian perspective. Language is God's gift designed to enhance the communication of his truth. History is the sphere of God's sovereign dealings with man, including the Christian heritage of North America. Science is the scrutinizing of God's creation. Math and logic are the exhibition of God's orderliness, and so forth. These Christian children are largely immune to the enticements of godless secularism. So, that's the end of the quote. Um, yeah, I just think it's, it's amazing to see that, that so many men are picking up on this. Like, if you want to take dominion, if you want to be successful in the culture, if you want to transform the culture and see reformation come in the church, then first of all, we need to win our children. And this is, this is part of the problem and what we're not doing. So I think homeschooling is a good way for us to keep our kids by training them in the fear of the Lord. So this is something else that Andrew Sandlin writes. I'm going to quote from it. A church or sector of the church that relies principally on proselytization will never make great cultural strides because it is forced to begin anew each generation. By contrast, covenantalists can enjoy actual progress because they believe in succeeding generations that need not start from ground zero, but can carry the baton in the race of the kingdom advancement just where they picked it up from their godly parents. So in other words, what he's talking about is that if we can raise our children so that they are more faithful than we are, and this includes, and so central to all of that is the education that we receive, then they don't have to start from ground zero. And this is how you actually make progress. Um, one of the problems is, again, that we lose our children. And so many of the men that listen to this show, I've talked to you, and you know that this is true, we grieve the fact that we had to start from zero, many of us late in life. Uh, many of you didn't have fathers uh, or you didn't have good fathers. And so you're forced to figure out all these things on your own. And so our goal, I think, for our children scripturally should be, no, we don't, we don't want them to start at zero. And it's not necessary for them to start at zero. So the way that we educate them uh, has a vast impact on all of that. Now, what I want to do at this point is go over some of the objections that are common to the argument for homeschooling. So number one objection, at least that I hear and that I've seen a lot of over the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, is this. People say that their kids are missionaries to the lost. And I have a couple problems with this. First of all, the thing that blows my mind about this, and, and don't get mad at me because I came from the SBC and I was raised as a Baptist, okay? So I'm not, I'm not taking unnecessary pot shots at Baptists. But look, you don't, you don't, most Baptists don't anyway, you do not believe that your children are saved. You do not believe that your children are part of the covenant. This is why you don't baptize them. 
and yet you believe that they should be missionaries to a lost pagan world. I mean, look at the North American Mission Board. If you went to them and said, hey, I'm not a Christian, let me be a missionary, they, they would turn you around, right? They would not allow you to be a missionary. So logically, that one doesn't even make sense. So why would you send a child you're not sure is saved into the mission field to save others? Again, I don't think that you would. And if we were being logically consistent, we would say, you know what, that doesn't make sense. I should either stop saying that or I need to radically change my views about conversion and missionary work. The second issue that I have with this argument is that you don't really find it anywhere in Scripture. There is no argument in Scripture, when you, particularly as we've looked at what are the roles of parents to children, where it says your goal as a parent is to expose your children to evil during the formative years of their life in order to convert other people. In fact, we're told the exact opposite in Ephesians 6 and Deuteronomy 6. Everyone knows, secular psychologists included, that the early years of your child's life are extremely formative. And so we as parents have an obligation to protect who our kids hang out with, where they go to school, and what other influences come into their life. This is what parents are for. You have to direct your children. It is our job, scripturally, to make explicit the formative training of our children in the fear of the Lord. That's what Paul says. It's very clear. He says nothing about sending vulnerable children into the world to be educated by pagans. Okay, one of the arguments that's used is Daniel and Babylon. But I don't think that it, like, you don't take exceptions and say, okay, this is the rule. I am going to intentionally take my son and send him into Babylon, and God's going to bless him. Like, that happened, and God was with Daniel and his friends. But that does not mean that's normative. It doesn't mean it's good. And certainly, even in that day, no, no God-fearing Israelite would have done that of his own will and accord. That was done to them, and it was part of God's specific working in that season. That does not mean that we turn our children willingly over to the state. I think it's a very foolish argument. So number two objection that, that we hear a lot of. I'll hear this from people probably most. Oh, I'd love to homeschool, but, and here's the objection, we can't make it work financially. So one of the biggest problems that we as humans, this is not just on the homeschooling issue, one of the biggest problems we have as humans is we say things like, I can't, and what we really ought to say if we were being honest with ourselves is, I am choosing not to, right? We try to make it seem like, well, it was out of my hands, but it's not out of your hands. It it does require hard choices, and that is true. So I think about my wife and I, homeschooling has required us to make different life choices. We have had to uh, live on $40,000 or less on a single income for most of our married life, and, and often way less than that, right? I'm averaging 15 years, and I'm telling you that w- we have made below, I think the, the national average, it might be in the 50s now, something like that. So, so we're well below that, and we've been able to do it. And here's the reality. It it means sacrifice. We do not buy new cars and we never have because we can't afford them. We do not eat out a lot and we do not take expensive vacations. We are not allowed on our beer budget to have champagne taste. And that's okay with us because we've chosen to invest 
in future generations through our children. We are educating our children for their children. I'm not just raising my son so that he'll be a Christian. I'm raising my son so that he can raise his sons to be Christians. And at that point, I will feel as though I have succeeded. This is me looking to the promise. But it also means that in order to do that, we don't have debt. All right, we've learned to live on a pretty lean budget for most of our lives. My wife and I often joke we have the gift of involuntary poverty. But the reality is that we've made choices, both job choices, living choices, and school choices that have required us to live on a lean budget. My wife has never, in all that time, despite the smaller budget that we've lived on, she has never worked outside the home since our first son was born. So again, it's about the choices that you're making. People tell me all the time, well, I wish we could homeschool, but we just can't afford it. And then I look at their life and I say, well, no, you've chosen not to homeschool because you've chosen a lifestyle that will not allow for it. Right, So here's where the rubber kind of hits the road. People don't want to homeschool because they don't want to make the sacrificial choices. And I think each of us, we should at least be willing to own that. If you and your spouse both have brand new vehicles that are worth $60,000, you've got to have the latest side-by-sides, campers, expensive houses, and you have champagne taste when it comes to food, clothing, and vacations. Just realize those are choices that you're making. And more than likely, as you send your kids to public school, there's a very good chance that you're going to lose your kids. And so at the end of your life, when you pass on your inheritance or the government takes it all from you while you're sitting in a nursing home, you're going to have to ask yourself, not so many days from now, was that worth it? See, because here's what I do. I I look at my kids and I say, my lifetime is short, man. But... Through my children and their offspring, God willing, I can span a couple hundred years, right? If, if I have five kids and they all have four kids and then all their four kids have four kids, like do the math. You could be responsible for 40, 50,000 offspring in a couple hundred years. That's a pretty drastic impact, but it doesn't matter if you lose your kids. I remember one of my friends who was honest about this issue. Uh, We were talking about it, and he actually brought it up. I wasn't hounding him on homeschooling or anything like that. But he said, you know, man, I did the math. And he said, me and my wife, we both make six figures. We got a nice house. We've got new cars. But when you look at all the things that we pay for, so we got to pay for, you know, daycare for the kids. The kids go to school. They're in after-school programs. They're in sports. Just two kids. Because we're not at home, because my wife's not cooking meals, we're always eating out. Because my wife has such a long commute, and so do I, we have to have new vehicles. It's expensive to maintain them. Again, there's after-school programs. He said, I did the math on all of it. And he goes, you know what I found? He goes, we barely break even on my wife's salary. Right? And I think what he realized, and what so many of us will realize, if if we actually do the math on these things you'll see, well, we're actually not making more money by sending our kids to public school, right? Because you're both working and there's all these extra added costs. But once you zero all of that out, what does it come down to? I don't want to do it. It's hard. One of the conversations I have with my wife at least once a week 
is, man, it just feels like we're pushing against the grain on everything. And one of us will look at the other and say, well, that's exactly right. Because living faithfully as a Christian means pushing against the grain, particularly in a world as pagan as ours is. You're going to be pushing against the grain. It's got to be hard, and you have to take up your cross and follow Jesus. So here's what I would say to you. Homeschooling can be done very well at minimal cost. As a family, we spend a few hundred dollars maximum on mail-order curriculum. Obviously, there's people who spend way more than that. You can get fully automated programs for each child, and it's like super, super high-end expensive. But you also don't have to do that. And people will look at us and they say, wow, you get so much done in so much less time during a day. And they're kind of, you know, skeptical about our kids. Well, are, you know, can they even read? Well, here's the thing. Every time we've done state testing, which is required here, my children will place generally three to four grades ahead of their age group. In almost every subject on the state test. So I say that to people to encourage you. It's not as hard as you think it is. It, it is daunting because it's a big task. But you can do it. You can make it work if you're willing to rework your budget, if you're willing to rework your schedules. But listen, understand the principle from Scripture. Your family, your kids are the most important thing in your life. It's the most important duty that God has given you. And so you need to prioritize that. And it's going to be costly. But here's what you have to do. You have to get out of debt. Some of you, you can't do it right away. It's going to be difficult to do that. But I think if you're creative, you can pay off your debt and you can stay out of debt. And then you can situate yourself financially so that your wife can be in the home full time and be investing that time in your children. And trust me, believe in the promise. It's worth it. So number three objection that I hear is, I can't spend all day with my kids. I always go back to what Jordan Peterson once said. This is in his book, 12 Rules for Life. And he said, one of the chapter headings was, you shouldn't raise children that you dislike. Yeah, that's a good principle for life. But here's the problem. Many of the people I know, they spend about an hour a day with their kids, and that hour is excruciating. And why is it excruciating? Because their children are undisciplined, they're rowdy, they're out of control, the parents don't know how to tell the children no, they do not physically discipline their children. And so, yeah, from like two-year-olds to 13-year-olds, you got unruly kids and they're unbearable. So... I kind of feel for those people. It's like, yeah, I don't like your kids either. I'm sorry to break that to you. And so these people can't imagine spending the whole day with their children. So for those parents, like if, if you're that parent and you say, man, I just, I don't know. I just don't like my kids. Being around them is miserable for me. What you need to do, think of Jocko Willink. You need to have extreme ownership and you need to take ownership of this problem. God ordained fathers to create order in the home, so if there's unruliness and chaos, it's your problem. You have let this happen on your watch, and it is your job to order the chaos. So instead of saying, well, I just don't like my children, I'm going to ship them off so somebody else has to deal with them, you know, that's fundamentally irresponsible. You should sit down with your wife and sit down with your kids after that and say, listen, there's new rules. 
We're going to deal with these issues. There's going to be some Board of Education meeting the seat of knowledge. And as you discipline your kids, you're going to find that there's order again. And again, that's going to depend how old your children are. I'm assuming that you at least have some littles still in the home at this point. But here's my secret. I work from home, and I'm in, in the home and around my children 90% of the waking hours, if not more. And I'm around my wife most of that too. And people will say to me, how can you stand it? And I say this, well, secret number one, I discipline my kids and I like them. I enjoy being with them. Sure, there's times where they get on my nerves, but I am with my kids all the time. And you know what? I love it. I love them. I enjoy them. And I would say the exact same thing about my wife. I like her. That's the secret. I enjoy her. When we have problems, we go to each other. And we say, hey, you know, sin we need to deal with. We forgive each other as Christ forgives us. And then we move on. And we like each other. So listen, if, if your excuse is, well, I don't like my kids. I don't want to be around them. Well, then deal with that problem. Don't just ship them off to somebody else. And again, I I would give the example of so many other people that I know, like, you can cultivate being with your kids. That used to be normal. That used to be normal American pre-industrial life, that fathers and sons worked in the same trade with each other all the time, every day. And yeah, I'm sure there were some people that didn't get along, but for the most part, people got along with each other. And you can too. So objection number four, moving on here. Objection number four, people will say I'm not equipped to teach. This is, first of all, everybody feels that way. Because I think if you take seriously the task of parenting, particularly from scripture, you're going to sit in front of the weightiness of that task and you're saying, wow, I don't know, can I do this? But here's what you need to know, and here's what I would remind parents of as a pastor. God has ordained you for this office. God has commissioned and called you and given you this duty to raise your children in the fear and the instruction of the Lord. And so if God calls you to do something, he will supply the grace to you that you need to accomplish that task. Right? This is what we believe as as Christians. And so, listen, God called you to be the parent. You can be the parent. Yes, it's going to take wisdom and counsel and help from other Christians. It's going to take the means of grace and worshiping with God's people and communion and corporate prayer and singing the Psalms. It's going to take all of those things, God's grace delivered to you, but you can do it. And so take heart and focus on, first of all, the duty. And then second of all, the grace that is supplied so that you can fulfill that duty. One of the things that I've been encouraged of lately is from Stonewall Jackson. And like, there's all these insurmountable obstacles in his life. And even his pastor was like, Hey man, you don't have to do this. It's really hard. Maybe that's not for you. And Stonewall said, sir, do you believe it is my duty? And the pastor told him, yeah, I I believe it's your duty. And he said, then I will do it. So help me God. I will do it. Right? So that is the attitude that we ought to have. Be bold and courageous about the things God commanded and then hope in the promise and the supply of his grace. So before you call me a jerk on this point, 
I just want to say, look, I'm public schooled. It was terrible experience. I became a Christian by the grace of God. But it's not like a good thing that you would ever want to send somebody into that environment. And if you're public schooled, look, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I went to a public university. And the specialty of the public university that I went to was training teachers, right? So this school teaching was their jam. And so I was friends with a lot of teachers, female and male. And you know what those Christian teachers would tell me all the time, both during their college years and afterwards when they became teachers? What would they constantly tell me? They would tell me how terrible the rest of the teachers were. They would tell me, how terrible the public school systems were. They would tell me how terrible the curriculums were, what a joke and lack of discipline the classrooms were. Right? Pretty much anybody could see that the public school system was absolutely abysmal. It's a ridiculous joke. It is a failed experiment. And every year, every voting season, what happens? The superintendents and the teachers, they all cry about it, teachers' unions, and they say, well, if you would just pay us more money and give more money to the school, then we promise, we promise, 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 this time we'll do a better job. Something's not working, just it's a government solution, right? Throw more money at it. But here's what I want to say to you. Look, that is garbage. So you're telling yourself, I'm not equipped to teach. The people teaching your kids half the time are mentally, morally incompetent people. I'm sorry, that is the truth. But here's the deal. If you're a Christian man or woman and you love your children and you should, you love them with the covenant love of God, you can give them the time, attention, and instruction that no one else can. No one is going to love your child like you will. This is how God has ordained it. And the most important thing of all, you can show them what it's like to be a covenant-keeping child of God. You can set an example and then say to your child, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Again, my, my wife used to say to me all the time how ill-equipped she thought she was to teach. So I think in every marriage, that's going to be a battle. And, and fathers, you have to encourage your wives. Man, they're on the front lines of this. They're bearing the brunt of it. Little boys are difficult. Little girls are difficult to teach. There's going to be so many days like, you know, my wife will say to me like, I think we're raising serial killers. And I'm like, no, honey, you're doing a great job. And then I go in the bathroom and I'm like, I, she might be right. She might actually be right on this. No, but seriously, like you are there to support and encourage and lead your wife in this. So again, it's normal that you're going to feel ill-equipped, but that's not a reason to shirk duty and responsibility. And so we're all going to feel that way to some extent. But listen, forming your kids into Christian warrior poets is hard work. It's the best work you'll ever do. Mother Teresa, you want to change the world? This is what Mother Teresa said. If you want to change the world, go home and love your family. Right? Corporate America is not where women are going to find fulfillment. Right? We have people in the church today who, and feminism is the other huge problem in all of this. We have women in the church today who are told that if you go work for a corporate CEO boss, that will be fulfilling and freeing, but working in the household for your children and for your husband, 
will be demeaning and enslaving. And nothing could be further from the truth. God has said this clearly in his word. Read Titus. Read Timothy. The woman is made for the household. This is her work. This is where she is transformed in godliness. So what I always do is if you go to the scripture, like if you're honest and you say, I know the word of God says that. Like women, this is hard. This is hard work. We always talk about in Genesis that women have this travail of childbirth, but I think it's actually childbirth and there's travail and child rearing too, is there not? And so listen, you go to these texts and you say, well, this is what the scripture calls me to, but my heart's not with that. Then what you do is you go before God and you plead with God and you say to the Lord, transform my heart because I know your word is true. The thing that must be wrong in this situation is my feelings and my heart. Bring me in line with the word of God. Make my will one with your will. And as Stonewall Jackson said, give no quarter to your feelings. Give no quarter to your fears. Give no quarter to your anxieties. Focus on your duty and pray for the grace to fulfill that duty. It is daunting work, but with faith in the promise, you can succeed. Well, I hope this has been an encouraging talk. I hope many of you, um, if you are homeschooling, I hope you'll be encouraged. And for those of you who are on the fence, I hope it'll encourage you to homeschool, uh, to give your kids a Christian education, and to be faithful to the Lord as he's called you to be. I am going in the show notes to provide a bunch of links. We have really just scratched the surface, but I want to provide you with some links to articles and books that I think will be helpful. Many of you will know, but Vadi Bakum has been one, one great source in this. Um, and then I'll provide some links for some other resources as well. I would encourage each of you, if you feel blessed by this show, if it's been helpful to you, uh, please support the work on Patreon. For those of you who are supporting, I want to say thank you. It's been wonderful. I've appreciated the dialogue, um, the exchange of ideas. Um, if you're in the VIP or the middle tier on Patreon, you're part of our Marco Polo discussion. So if you're not part of that, come join us. Join one of the tiers on Patreon, and you can be a part of that discussion with us. You also get access to an exclusive newsletter with exclusive content just for Patreon supporters. Of course, you can follow me on ericcon.com. That's E-R-I-C-C-O-N-N dot com. You can follow me on Twitter, Eric, E-R-I-C underscore at C-O-N-N. And now you can follow me on Parlor, And I am at Old Stone Jack. Until next time, men, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men.